Morning, everyone. Morning. I don't know about you, I've, I've always enjoyed reading obituaries. <laughs> I've always been interested in, in, in kind of legacy of, of characteristics, things that, that people have left behind. I don't think it's, it's that unusual. And you probably won't recognize this man. I'll be very impressed if you do. But this man had the benefit of reading his obituary before he actually died. Because the newspaper had erroneously believed him dead and printed a less than positive obituary, basically condemning him as a war profiteer, a creator of death and destruction. You see, this man invented dynamite. This man was Alfred Nobel. You've probably heard of him now. And he saw this and read this obituary, and it, he was cut. And it inspired him to make the choice to give his significant fortune to create the Nobel Prize Institution, which you've probably all heard of, yes? The Nobel Peace Prize, etc., etc., which would annually recognize those who conferred the greatest benefit to humankind. And his legacy was improved. You've all heard of Nobel, but for the, the prizes, yes? Rather than the dynamite, I'm guessing? You know, we, we are unlikely to have the benefit of uh, an early obituary. But what we do have is the Bible's challenge to us to be mini-Christs, to display characteristics that we find difficult. And in terms of, of my legacy, your legacy, I wonder what you want to be known for. I wonder who you want to be compared to. Your characteristics. You know, actually, I want people to say of me, do you know what, Jack Carter, he reminded me of Jesus. I'm not there yet. And so with this in mind, you know, the passage today goes deep into the character of Jesus. And as a result, of course, it challenges us because it's tough. It's challenging to read this morning, and it's far more challenging to do. But we're going to look at some of this together. We're going to consider perhaps a few practical points to help us, bearing in mind we've only got about 25 minutes for what is a really rich and deep passage. So for those of you who do have Bibles or have it on your phone, we are continuing in 1 Peter, 1 Peter 2, 11 to 25, 1 Peter 2, 11 to 25, and it says this, it says, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who were sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do, do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Then we have a bit of a list. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Slaves, in a reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only uh, to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable, that word repeated, this is commendable before God. 
To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. And then there's some messianic prophecy here from Isaiah, and it says, he committed no sin, he's talking about Jesus, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Jesus entrusted himself to the Father. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And that characteristic I want to speak into today is is submission. And you know, submission is tough, isn't it? Submission is tough because if we are honest, it goes against our human nature. We don't like to submit. We don't like to cede control because we love control. We like to have our hands on the wheel. And we don't like to take our hands off our lives. Which is why today we're going to start at the end. We're going to start with how the passage ends. We're going to go in reverse. And we're going to start with Jesus. We're going to start with him who did not retaliate when he suffered. He made no threats. And so really my first point is that Jesus is the very model of submission. The very model of submission in the midst, sorry, in the midst of life. I'm just going to put this somewhere better. There we go. In the midst of life and suffering. Let me just see if it needs to be tightened. If it continues, I will change. So Jesus is the very model of submission in the midst of life and suffering. So in the last four or five years, uh, I've become a bit of a crier. And at first, it was a little bit embarrassing, uh, especially when giving a talk like this. And there's no guarantee that I, I might not cry today. If you're, uh, so many finds that uncomfortable, I'm sorry. But I've actually increasingly embraced it because there was a harness that the Holy Spirit needed to soften in me. It was an area in which the Spirit needed me and wanted me to grow in. My empathy, my, my understanding of what Jesus had done for me and others. And what makes me cry the most when I think about it is the fact that Jesus submitted to the will of the Father for our sake, for my sake and for your sake. Jesus was obedient. Even when he faced the most horrific of deaths, even when he faced the reality of being separated from the perfect love, that perfect dance of the Trinity that had existed for all eternity, when he faced the reality of bearing the weight of every single sin that has ever been and will ever be. I mean, we just can't imagine that, can we? And yet he said, he said, your will. He said, your will, not mine. And that submission was infinitely greater than anything we will have to endure on this earth. Although, of course, we know that suffering is inevitable for all of us, and it's not easy. Dorothy Sayer says it much, much better than I can. She says, for whatever reason God chose to make man as he is, limited in suffering and subject to sorrows and death. He had the honesty and the courage to take his own medicine. Whatever game he is playing with his creation, he has kept his own rules and played fair. He can exact nothing from man that he has not exacted from himself. 
He has himself gone through the whole of human experience, from the trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work and lack of money, to the worst horrors of pain and humiliation, defeat, despair, and death. When he was a man, he played the man. He was born in poverty and died in disgrace and thought it well worthwhile. That's what brings me to tears. You see, Jesus took his hands off his life and said, Father, I am your servant. And so that is why we must start with Jesus when we talk about something really quite tough like submission, because it frames things for us in such an important way, doesn't it? So how do, we, how do we do this? How do we follow that example? I think there are some things in the passage which give us some help, which give us some practical thoughts. Because in verse 23 it says, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. And so quick point number one is that we are to live with endurance and not seek revenge. We can move on the slide, thanks. To live with endurance and not seek revenge. In other words, we are to put up with harsh circumstances. The fact is, as Christians, as followers of Christ, we follow a suffering savior. We trace Jesus' behavior. We emulate, as verse 21 says, we follow in his steps. And this is... Tricky, because where did his steps lead? His steps led to Calvary, didn't they? But the passage tells us that by his wounds we have been healed. Something that's helped me over the years, I'm, I'm, I'm still trying to get my head around it at times, is having a soft heart and thick skin. Having a soft heart and thick skin. You know, a soft heart is needed, but having a thick skin to guard it is also needed. Having a soft heart will keep you and your influence Growing will help you submit, but thick skin is needed for the long haul. Do you know, it's good to not be easily offended. We increasingly, don't we, live in a society of outrage. You can't say that. Living on eggshells. And this passage tells us that we need to have our hearts moved, but not our sensibilities offended, I think. If you just have a soft heart, the problem is you try and fix everything, including yourself, on your own. And we end up taking God's job and not trusting or letting him do the work that only he can do. And that actually is a crucial part of submission, isn't it? And on a practical level, and I've seen this before, it leads to compassion fatigue. Uh, and compassion fatigue is not good for anyone, particularly your relationship with God. If you have just a hard heart, it, you go to the other extremes. You know, you distance yourself from God, you distance yourself from others, and actually you distance yourself from your own feelings. And it's basically another form of self-reliance and a lack of submission. Proverbs 28, 14 says this, How blessed is the man who fears always, but he who hardens his heart will fall into calamity. And I once listened to a really good talk, and the speaker said that Jesus was the perfect mix of softness and hardness. And that's a good thing to follow, isn't it? So, very quick takeaway. We should care, but we should not carry. We should care, but we shouldn't carry. I also mentioned that we shouldn't seek revenge. Because he, Jesus, he was someone who committed no sin. 
He didn't fight back. He was falsely accused, but he didn't retaliate. He didn't even really open his mouth at his trial, did he? I mean, it's amazing. If you've ever been in an argument, and we all have here, you know how hard it is to keep your mouth shut. Especially when you're right, and of course we're always right, aren't we? We're always right. But what did Jesus do on the cross? Jesus on the cross said, Father, forgive them. See, again, our human nature is we want to seek revenge. We want to fight back. But Jesus challenged us and said, you need to forgive 70 times 7, which of course means you forgive and you forgive and you forgive and you forgive and you forgive. Again, this is easy easy to say, isn't it? It's so difficult to live, which is why we need the Spirit's help. I think I might take this up, Dan. Right. It's been a while since I've had a mic in my hand. Um, We need the Spirit's help. What else? uh, Just one more takeaway from this part. In verse 23, it says, He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. If we move on in the slides. What do we take from that? What I take from that, what I felt we needed to, to hear today, was when we submit, we can rest in confidence. When we submit, we can rest in confidence. In other words, as hard as this sounds, we need to let God handle it. And we need to let it go. I've got eight daughters who are eight and five, and I've heard that song, Let It Go, so many times. <laughs> let it go, let it go. You know the song. And so I, as I was prepping this, I thought, you know, here's a great opportunity to claim that song for something good. <laughs> That's not going to wind us up. So every time you hear that song, let the Spirit just say to you, do you know what, whatever's going on, let it go. Because, you know, in the Greek, do you know what it means? It means committing over and over and over and over again. That's what it means in the Greek. I wonder how many of you are holding on to things. Do you know what Jesus committed over and over and over and over until, what did he say finally? He said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. So whatever it is that's causing you suffering, heartache, that feeling of injustice, I'm going to encourage you to say, I commit that to you. When we don't understand, then goodness me, I've been there. Mez and I have been there. We say, I commit that to you. Because there's a real danger if we don't, we become bitter. Bitterness is the offspring of anger if it's left to fester and mature. So we commit. We commit and we submit. The passage also talks about submission to authority. Submission to authority. And so, for the sake of time, we're just going to take that in a kind of the macro sense. Submission to government and employers. Okay? I just want to say here, if any of you are put off or offended by the word slaves in the passage, because that came up a few times, and it's a bit, oh, it's an interesting one. I'd love to talk to you afterwards. Okay? Because what I don't want is anyone to go away today thinking, oh... I was offended by that, even though perhaps we don't fully understand the context. If you, if that's you, don't leave this building kind of angry. Let's talk about it. I want to make time after the gathering if that's you. Because context is important. The context of this is interesting. Because Peter is writing and, and living at the time of Emperor Nero. You may have heard of Emperor Nero. Emperor Nero was infamously brutal when it came uh, to Christians. We're talking about thousands of Christians executed in really horrific fashion during his, his reign. 
But interestingly, from the passage, what do we get? We, got, we get the fact that despite this, Peter still sees the state, views the state as appointed by God for the maintenance of moral values. And actually, on a practical level, basic structure is important, isn't it? Leadership structure is just important. You think about sports teams. You think about church and, and leadership. You think about the government. You know, if there was no structure, it would be absolutely chaos. So Peter's speaking into a practical point here. And I realize that I'm saying this at a particularly interesting time. COVID regulations, alleged lockdown parties, all this kind of stuff. It can be really hard to submit to authority. But there is a command within the passage to do so for the sake of our witness. I've forgotten how hard it was to do things with one hand here. But let's be clear. Jesus did say, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, didn't he? Jesus submitted, and so we, we must view this as a, a strength rather than a weakness, actually. But there's a caveat. We need to be mindful of refusing authority when the authorities claim for themselves what is God's. Let me just repeat that. We need to be mindful of refusing authority when the authorities claim for themselves what is God's. In other words, in Acts, and this is nicely supported in Acts 4, 19, 20, do you remember this? When Peter and John are up before the Sanhedrin, the, 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 the governing Sadducees and the, and, the, and the Jewish temple guard, because Peter and John are going out there and they're proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus, aren't they? And they, they're trying to silence them. And Peter and John reply, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. In other words, we do have a higher authority. We do have a higher call. God is our authority. And you know what, folks? I think in years to come, maybe even sooner than we think, we're going to feel our conscience say and the Spirit say, do you know what? I, I, I can't do that. That will grieve God. And he is my ultimate authority. I do think this is going to become more of an issue. Now, Mez and I are already praying for this stuff for our children because I think it's going to be tough. The order in the passage is significant as well. There's that list just at the end of this passage which says, show proper respect to everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, honor the emperor. The emperor, the government, is last. I think that's actually quite significant. And I like the fact that there's that reminder of fear God just before it. Before you think about doing this, just remember there's God just before this, and, and that's really important. You know, we've been just praying about the Ukraine, but uh, a country that was on my heart as I was prepping this was China, because China has seen so many examples of this over the years, living under an authoritative regime. Early Reign Covenant Church uh, was a church which grew massively in a short space of time, uh, and then suddenly disappeared from the city of Chengdu. If you're like me, I'd never heard of Chengdu before. It's just a small city of 16.5 million people. Um, and their leader, Pastor Wang, was and still is in prison. And many of those uh, you know, are arrested, have been arrested, or, or they're just in hiding in that church. And one underground member of the church said, early reign church is one of the few who dare to face what is wrong in society. He said, most churches don't dare talk about this, but we strictly obey the Bible and we don't avoid anything. And there's this quote from Pastor Wang, which I just wanted to share with you. He said, in this war, 
in Shanghai, in Beijing, in Chengdu, the rulers have chosen an enemy that can never be imprisoned, the soul of man. Therefore, they are doomed to lose this war. But it echoes what Peter says, doesn't it? It tells us where our ultimate authority lies and actually serves us to remind us of our current freedoms, of which we have many, and what we do with it. You know, on a personal level, I've, I've experienced a little bit of this. <laughs> you know, when I uh, first became head of history at the school I was teaching at, the previous head of history, we might have had this before, became the head of the faculty, the humanities faculty. So she, she was my line manager. And it was really difficult, really difficult, because decisions were undermined, my authority was undermined. And, you know, I remember going back and, and venting to Mez, really venting at times. And so we would pray about it, and we decided uh, that we would kill with kindness. It's not a great phrase, I'm going to kill you with kindness. But you, you know the heart behind it, don't you? The idea is actually what you kill is the, is the, is the kind of the, the attitude against you because you're so loving and kind. And I'll be honest with you, it became a bit of a game. I confess my heart was not always well-intentioned. <laughs> I'm going to show you with a smile on my face. But you know what? My heart did soften, and it was an important process for me. Our relationship actually improved dramatically. And that, of course, gave me the influence which I needed to take the department and actually her forward. So what is the passage saying then about this overall? It's saying that suffering in the spite of doing good is a major part of our witness, isn't it? In fact, it's an overriding principle of how we react to personal injustice. And this is tough. It's saying not my rights first, but the gospel first. It's your witness first. It's pointing the way to others first. And the question is, how should it be applied in your context, your circumstances? It's difficult, but the principle is one of grace. And what does it say about grace? It says it's commendable two times in the passage. It's commendable. And let's also not forget that Peter had a front row seat of the injustice, the supreme act of injustice towards Jesus. James 1, 2-3 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and my sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Do you know there's also f fruit, isn't there? When we submit, there is fruit. So my last point really is about the fruit of submission. You know, some of you will know that my mother died uh, just over two years ago. Just over two years ago. It's gone so quickly. After what was really a five-year ordeal with, with cancer. You know, she died early at 65, she never really got to enjoy retirement. She never really got to enjoy her grandchildren. And that was tough. And sadly, mum's story, though, it's indicative, isn't it, of, of many others. We learn, perhaps more quickly than we ought, that life is tough and that we will suffer. And sometimes that feels unjust. But, you know, in her last three years of life, I noticed her really grow in her relationship with God her dependence on him who loves her without measure. Her relationship became more intimate. She became more reliant on him. There was joy in the pain, and there was peace in the many storms. 
And the point I want to make, though, is this this doesn't happen overnight. You know, initially there was a sense with mum, which is completely understandable of why me, God? Why me? But she prayed into things, she pressed into God, and she would say after a few years of the cancer, instead of why me, she would say, why not me? And that's a hard thing to say. Why not me? I trust you, Jesus. You see, the trials of life, and this is the fruit, the trials of life should drive us back to the shepherd. You know, my mother would say, she'd say, Jack, you want trials? You want proof of your faith? You want assurance of the reality of saving faith because it's more precious than gold? And there'll be people in this room going through things that you just don't understand. My encouragement to you, my plea to you is don't turn your back. Don't turn your back, but walk towards him who submitted everything for you. Smith Wigglesworth, a a Leeds-born evangelist, a local lad, said this. Great faith is a product of great fights. Great testimonies are the outcomes of great tests. Great triumphs can only come out of great trials. And there's an important hint in the passage that I want to draw our attention to that I think we need to hear. In verse 25, it says, For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And you know what I think this hints at? I think this hints at God's great patience for us, the patience that God has for us to do this. And I see this as an encouragement, a real encouragement, because we go astray, we struggle, we don't always understand but we have time to return. These things take time. I think it took my mum a couple of years. But she returned. We need to return to the shepherd and the overseer of our souls. I don't think Jesus is, sometimes he does, but he, he doesn't usually force himself on us. We need to receive it and walk to him. And we can know that he's always waiting for us to come home. So my, my prayer is that we would know, that you would know the shepherd's voice. And that you would submit and give your lives to him. You would take your hands off your own life. And for some of you, that might be the first time this morning. For others of you, it's the hundredth. Maybe it's the thousandth time. I just want to share with you uh, in a minute a brief clip. And this clip really speaks to me of the true, the true shepherd's voice. You, know, you will see in the clip, you'll, you'll see sheep. And they don't respond to all the voices. They respond just to the farmer's voice, the shepherd's voice. And you will see that. And when we see that we need to listen and respond only to Jesus, not other voices that we don't recognize or that could cause us to deviate off the track that he has for us. Thanks, Rob.
suppose the question is, do, do you know your shepherd's voice? But you could see other people saying exactly the same thing, supposedly. But the sheep responded to the voice that they knew, that they recognized. And there's something for the, the church that I think is really important that I want to share as well, which relates to this. Um, I was just going through Prince Caspian. You've probably read that book, haven't you? And this really jumped out at me, hit me like a, a brick wall in a way. And I really felt it was for us. And I think it's important to today, but I think it's important going forward. And it's the part uh, in Prince Caspian where there's this, this interchange, this conversation between Aslan and Lucy. And you can read it. Let's read it. Aslan said, Lucy, you're bigger. That is because you are older, little one, answered he. Not because you are said Lucy. I am not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. And that really spoke to me for us, because God's heart for us, God's heart for you and for me, is that he would be bigger in our lives. That's his heart for us. But that requires growth. And growth comes from submission. Growth comes from saying, your will be done not my will. And you know what? We see this throughout the Bible. We've just had Christmas, haven't we? And I was struck by Mary. Mary, who's just been told by an angel, you're going you're gonna to carry the, the Son of God in your womb and give birth to this, this amazing thing. And what does Mary say? She says, let it be to me according to your word. Wow, that's submission, isn't it? I think about Paul. But I also... And again, this is encouraging to us. I think about those who took their sweet time to submit, like Moses. It took quite a while to convince him, didn't it? But do you know what? All eventually, they took their hands off their own lives and handed them to God. And so, um, I'm going to ask Faye to come back. And we've got a lot of time to respond this morning. And I just want to lead us in a response time of submitting or, or resubmitting. I feel in the context of next week, with the everyday supernatural, I feel in the context of this church, this is really important. So don't just kind of think, I'm going to ignore this. Search your hearts, bow your hearts in prayer and think, what's God been saying to me in this what does it look like for me to take my hands off my own life and submit? Now, Jesus endured huge injustice. Why? So that he could die for the sheep. He could die for you and me. So that a way would be opened up to return to the shepherd of our souls. So if it helps, maybe close your eyes. If it helps, put your hands out to, to receive. I'm just going to pray some points over us and then I'm going to hand over to Faye where we can have an extended time just of thinking about these words. A time where we can recommit, we can resubmit. So there'll be some today who aren't at a place of submission yet. 
there's going to be people here today who aren't at a place of submission yet and that's okay that's okay because Jesus is patient he will wait and he will always be ready and my prayer is that you wouldn't turn your face from him but towards him and there are others of you who are struggling to submit at work or to authority and my prayer is that you be reminded of God's great grace that your witness and love to others would be commendable if you're anything like me then perhaps you've been self-reliant and you've hardened your heart my prayer is that your heart would be softened and that you would press into the loving embrace of your heavenly father and there are some of you perhaps here today who don't know the shepherd yet who don't know Jesus but you're being stirred to start walking to him. And my prayer is that the Holy Spirit will continue to do a great work in your lives and that you'll continue to walk towards him. So let's take our time.